Football on Off The Ball With Sky Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership and much more Live on Sky Sports Now you're welcome along to the football show Joe Malloy with you this evening So a little later on we're talking Canada Because they've had an extraordinary 12 months Their women's team won gold at the Olympics in Tokyo Now the men's team have qualified for a first World Cup since 19. 86 and they argue to co-host the World Cup after that so we're going to our resident Canada expert Kevin Coban he's going to join us a little later on first though we're talking Ireland 2 Belgium 2 very happy to bring in former Republic of Ireland international Damien Delaney hello you're very welcome Hi Joe how are you? Yeah great so uh, just a thought to get the ball rolling and in the interest of not writing anything off I'm not saying it would have to be a go-to thing every time, but maybe if we cobble together the money on occasion, can we come up with a fee for Thierry Henry just to be on standby, just in case we need a lift? Because really, that was the crucial moment. That is the only thing you need to see from the weekend. 12 years, 12 years been waiting to boo that man. Yeah, finally we got him and um, <laughs> he was sat next to Anthony Barry who I felt sorry for because there must have been a moment where he thought, is this me? for me? Yeah. <laughs> 1% for you, Barry, but mainly Henri. Yeah, listen, it was um, it was nice. I think the television director just hung on Thierry a little bit longer than maybe he was supposed to, but it was our moment to get some sort of, not revenge, I suppose, but I don't know, something over that moment anyway. Needless to say, we had the last laugh. Absolutely, yeah, what a performance, huh? Uh, yeah, well, that's where you can lead off. Are we saying what a performance? We're happy with this? Absolutely, yeah. You could not be happy with something like that, you know? He's the way he set his team up. Um, the 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 vigor that they played with, the enthusiasm that they showed, uh, pressing them right from the off, um, and really for us to to go into a game against a, a world number one ranked team and start as brightly as that, but then to maintain it, even when Belgium were having their good spells of possession and Belgium were were dominating the ball, which they did for for large periods of early in that first half. We didn't kind of wilt and drop back to the edge of our 18-yard box and, you know, the back three quickly became a back five and, you know, the, the three wide players dropped in to help the fullback. So it ends up being like a 5-4-1 and then that's it. You know, the, the, the die is cast almost and they're just retaining possession and there's an inevitability of almost when they kind of get their goal um, and rather than if um, and then we're kind of relying on scraps. So that's what it's been Um the majority of, 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 of the last decade, really, of Irish football um, against these top-ranked sides, albeit a watered-down Scotland side, but I wouldn't pay too much attention to that. Um, you know, that was still a side packed with, with, with players playing in, in the top five leagues in Europe and uh, players that we see regularly on a Wednesday and Thursday night. Um, of course, we're missing a couple of their big hitters, but look, let's just give credit where it's due. And, and my God, I think it is due. Well, to pick up on your point about the pressing, Certainly in Stephen Kenny's first couple of games, there was a real emphasis on pressing. And then it ebbed away a touch across his first year for, yeah. I think, different reasons. Like, there's no question in my mind Aaron Connolly was substituted in one game because he just wasn't pressing enough, for instance. Yeah. So in, at times it may have been on the players, maybe to an extent on management at times. It's good to see it back, though. I think it suits the DNA of the team as well to press. It does, and and we have to give 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 Stephen credit. In a lot of those games that that Aaron Connolly played in, it was definitely a, a three four three, and it was a flat front three with Aaron Connolly high and wide in the left, and Troy Parrott. I remember had a couple of games high and wide on the right, um, and then maybe you know a, a lone striker down the middle. And and I always felt uh, early in his regime, I know he didn't play the system, but but the middle part, they always felt they got outnumbered in midfield, and pressing um, seemed to become 
almost futile because you're pressing and we're getting played through reasonably uh, easy. You just look at the Azerbaijan and Luxembourg game, how much joy they had in possession against us. But he's, he's kind of uh, tweaked it slightly and it's almost like a, a 3 4 2 1 where he's just kind of tucked the wide players in, which gives the midfield players a real dig out because now we don't have two centre midfield players. We kind of have four because they are inverted, you know, and then the wide players kind of operate up and down, down, the, down the, the, the flanks. So defensively, I think that's helped us that when we do get a press, we get some joy. You know, we force teams backwards or we win it back. Um, no, of course, you don't want to stop it all the time. You know, any team or every team, especially, you know, number one ranked side in the world are going to come through you at times. But it's how often it happens. You know, it, it is a really a numbers game there. And and I feel that, that, that the coaching staff and the players uh, deserve credit for how they've kind of dealt with with um, with kind of that, that rocky first year. Now I'm not saying we're home and holes by any stretch of the imagination. I really I'm not saying that we're we're we're, we're the finished article by any stretch. But it certainly seems like the the picture Stephen is was trying to paint or is trying to paint mm. is starting to take shape. There's an outline starting to be to be visible now. Yeah, for sure. And we saw the Irish team win the ball high in the Belgium half, even late on in the game, for instance, and chances created. Yeah. We saw. On 47 minutes, when Seamus Coleman stepped up, uh, he nipped in for the ball. That was the one that almost fell for Robinson when yes. McLean had the strike, and that was a big moment. And even Kenny himself, if we take that first half hour or so as Belgium dominance to an extent, uh, then Thierry Henry aside, uh, Stephen Kenny cited Kieran Clark stepping up into midfield and winning a ball, and it resulted in Ireland's first shot as maybe a bit of a turning point. So the likes of Clark, the likes of Coleman stepping in, and then also winning the ball high up the pitch. This is good. This is pressure on the opposition. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 it, it it obviously what you just described there is, is accurate. But it also is is a, like a a feeling comes throughout the team that we're not just here to sit in. It's almost like a message gets sent out when Seamus does that. Everybody kind of sees him doing it. Or if any player does that, you know, everyone kind of goes, "Oh yeah, sorry, we're not just here to to get beat. We're here to to compete." And um, and same as Stepman, just sends a message and just reminds players sometimes because you know when they're having their long spells of possession, it can get. Uh, difficult when you're dropping in deeper and deeper and sometimes the easiest thing to do when that type of pressure comes on is to sink towards mm. the edge of your 18-yard box but when one player does it it kind of reignites everybody else and and, and and lets everybody know visually that look you know rather than just a word or, or someone shouting roaring somebody visually sees something like oh yeah I forgot we're on the front foot and um, look there'll be times um, I'm sure you showing a Lithuania game where they'll have spells and they'll come through us but you know, it's it's something is is the green shoots we spoke about after the end of the last campaign. That you know we, we said that need to start growing. Well, there was certainly a little bit of growth there on 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 um, on the weekend. The Batshuayi goal. On first glance, you think, well, it's just quality. You know, he it gives himself a yard and shoots early, and it's a high quality goal. And I I think that stands. But then on second mm-hmm. view, and of course, we're going to look at it from an Irish point of view. So. Give us your view on Coleman and Kelleher in the goal. Um, well, first of all, uh, I suppose there's, there's three parts to it. I, I would leave Quivine out of it, really, because you know it's, it's, a, it's a good finish. But the first part is the confidence that we showed in, in pushing the wing-backs in. Obviously, there's a downside to that. It does leave some space down the side of the three centre-backs. Um, and that is an area that, that teams will look to exploit with us. Because when you have a team as, as, as front foot and, and engaging as Ireland, and you look at the position of the two wing-backs, Matt Doherty and James McLean, they're higher than the two midfield players um, when the ball gets turned over, which is great. Um, but on the flip side of that, the weak spot is down the sides. And, and obviously, Batshui pulls into that channel and the ball gets played. No, if you're being ultra-critical, the easy thing in the... 
and I believe the lazy thing to say um, is that, you know, Seamus has got to get him down the line. And of course he has. But, you know, you still have to recognise that if you push Batshaw down the line, it could still be a problem because the only way you guaranteed get him down the line there is standing square with him, you know. So he definitely cannot come inside. But if you stand square with a player, um, unless you're ultra quick and there's only a handful of fullbacks I believe that have that type of pace that can stand square with a centre forward and when he pushes it make up that ground you know think Aaron Wambasaka, he's one of the best at it that's why he's very rarely gets beat but obviously Seamus um, is just giving himself a yard or two just in case he pushes it down the line um, I think Matt Doherty could do a little bit more um, you know I know we spoke at length before about you know his urgency to get back and spot danger I think he must know that Seamus is going to do his best to get him down the line. But, you know, if, she- if Seamus stands square with him, there's a good chance he could go down the line and cut in on goal, if you know what I mean, and, and then get a direct route to goal. Mm. Um, so Matt Doherty has to come back and help him there. And if you watch the replays of that, um, I think he probably could try just to touch harder to get back in and give Seamus a dig out um, there. But look, it doesn't happen. And almost having said that, when he chops inside, it's not like he cuts inside and travels the width, along the width of the pitch and then bends it in a far stick. He just cuts inside and hits it. Yeah. Um, and that's what that's what catches Cuivine off as well. If you watch Cuivine's positioning, um, he's probably expecting another touch there. I think that him and Dean Kiley will look back at that and they'll probably be ultra critical of, of Cuivine and say, listen, you got to expect that that snapshot is going to come. Yeah. And as soon as he checks inside... Uh, I, I think you could be uh, more than a tiny bit critical of Kelleher actually because you yeah. watch it again he's incredibly flat footed he's not expecting yeah. the shot at all no, and it, you know it, it would be the kind of thing if Bizzuno had conceded that goal what we would say to ourselves is well he's not used to that kind of quality in League One mm-hmm. whereas yeah. Kelleher's used to that kind of quality in training most days and in his Premier League Champions League games like the, it was it was really high quality play yeah. one quick cut no time for Coleman to come across and the shot's gone but he's incredibly yeah. flat footed he's not even thinking shots coming here so again it's the quality of the goal but like you'd hope that's the last time Kelleher's flat footed a moment like that so do you not think Coleman should make more of an effort to really say to Batshuayi you're going down the line you're going down the line there's no way you're coming inside right but if you do that right and you haven't got the legs that 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 an Aaron Wambasaka say because I, I use him because he's probably the best at it you know you 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 got to give yourself a chance that if you do show him down the line and he takes it that you have the legs to keep him going down the line. What I'm saying to you is if you stand square with him and he pushes it and you haven't got the legs to stay with him, there's a direct route to goal there now. His second touch after he pushes it is going to go back towards goal across Seamus. Yeah. So um, Seamus would be in an element of protecting. There probably was a time a number of years ago where Seamus would have had that, that type of pace, that type of, of, of legs to do that, um, but not anymore. So he's protecting himself, mm. and I know and I know what that feels like. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you. As soon as Batshuayi comes inside, I, I mean, I wouldn't nail Cuivin for it. No. I think he'd be ultra-critical. Yeah. But what I'm saying is as soon as Batshuayi has touch inside, um, Cuivin almost has to mirror his movement. So when when, when Batshuayi comes inside and takes a step, he has to take a step with him, you know, because he's covering an angle of where Batshuayi is. As soon as Batshuayi comes in, he's changed the angle. I'm getting all technical on goalkeeping aspects here. <laughs> and there's probably goalkeeper coaches listening going, what is he on about? But he needs to almost mirror that, I think, and, and move with Batshuayi. Yeah. Um, and that will help him. But look, that comes from playing and not playing. And, and, and I agree with you, in training, he's facing that kind of, kind of quality. But training and playing is two different things. It's probably a mm. momentary lapse from him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we're talking about the number one team in the world, so these things are going to happen. One last one on Coleman, then. You can balance up the ledger book. So he's protecting himself, as defenders of a certain age do, and 
he is one of the yeah. great players, one of the great Irish sports people. So nobody would thank us for being overly critical of, of Coleman. Where is he in terms of that's the downside of his of his age in that he's going to look have to look after himself in certain instances and it can result yeah. in a chance versus I mentioned him stepping into midfield play and setting a tone and, and yeah. uh, contributing. So where are we in Coleman? Because certainly his, his evident form has been picked out by high profile pundits. Yeah, listen, Seamus still has a huge role to play for Ireland on and off the pitch, absolutely. But you're going to have to accept now that that, that time and, well, maybe not so much time, but mileage has caught up with Seamus. You know, he's, he's a lot of miles on the clock. Um, he's played an awful lot of football. He's been a regular, barring injury. Um, and that, that's probably something else when you have an injury of the significance that he had at the age that he had. Sometimes it can take a little bit longer or it might be a little bit more difficult to regain the type of pace and power that you have. Um, but look, he's still an incredible player. He's probably not what he used to be, and I'm pretty sure he would admit that, but he still has an enormous amount to contribute to Ireland on and off the pitch. Off the pitch, he's obviously the figurehead, he's the, the leader, he's the main man in the changing room, and all the players really like Seamus. And he, uh, as a character, he's he's brilliant. Um, so even if he plays or he doesn't play, I'm pretty sure Seamus would still have a huge part to play in it. But we have to accept now, or maybe Matt Doherty has to accept that he needs to get back quicker to help Seamus. Um, that's probably one way of, of, of I won't say dealing with it, but, but mitigating that, that, that circumstance. But look, um, he's still a, a tremendous football player. And for me, he plays. OK. Uh, Ireland in general play and the Irish attack. Be curious for your thoughts on just looking back at the last number of games Admittedly, not all against stellar opposition. Azerbaijan, Qatar, Portugal, that was a nil-all draw. Luxembourg and Belgium. It's still 12 goals in five games. You're going yep. back a long time to the last time Ireland scored 12 goals in five games. So why is this happening? What are you seeing in the attacking play? What are you seeing in our general play when we have possession? I think he has come away from his early um, total football um, slow uh, place where teams can drop into a shape and you find it hard to break them down there's definitely more of an element of directness and by the way that's brilliant I think it's great and he's utilising Ogbene's physicality and his power and his pace of running in behind um, you know balls get spun down the side more Callum Robinson gives you uh, or gave us on the weekend a, a real direct threat so he's got direct players who run in behind at the top of the pitch you know those games where he played with you know um, you know Troy Parrott they're all players that like to come and link it Aaron Connolly I mean, I'm not sure how you, how you describe him. He, he's a little bit of everything, but he's not a direct, pacey runner in behind. He likes to come inside and link it. Um, he's put players in the team that threaten him behind. And um, we are not turning that opportunity down, as we saw with the, the equalising goal. I think it was Matt Doherty arrived to pick up a knockdown, and there was nothing fancy. He just helped it into the corner. It wasn't a particularly good ball, but it was just a, 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 a kind of spinning a ball down the side. And now Benny made something of it. Um, and I think that's really smart. His point, you know, I think early on in the in the in the in the campaign, there was maybe a, we're kind of a little bit stodgy and we passed the ball and we were trying to be too intricate and trying to find players in pockets and it all got a little bit slow and and unpredictable. Um, but no, we're playing some nice football and we are passing it, but we're also not turning on the opportunity of the, the players that we have in, in Robinson and, and Ogbeni, which is just balls just spun down the side. Um, and then the two midfield players are, 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 are competent passes of the ball. I think Jeff Hendricks is in the middle of a renaissance. I mean, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen um, Jeff play as well uh, with the ball, even when he was playing um, at his peak in Burnley, he was always just kind of, you know, he was in the team for legs to get up and, and, and Burnley played a 4-5-1 and he could link the, the midfield to the attack very, very quickly. And he was always very, very competent. But I'm seeing a level of 
composure in Jeff's play at the moment now where he's playing a couple of passes in, in into pockets and sliding balls down the side and picking people out. So, you know, they're both very, very competent passes of the ball. And as I said, it just seems to be a nice little, mm. little uh, thing happening at the moment. Sure does. Because with Hendrick, he's technically really good. There was never a reason why Jeff Hendrick shouldn't be really good on the ball and a really good passer over the years. There's probably a reason, I'll tell you. Managers probably never saw it in him and never told him he was a good blaster. So maybe he started to believe that he wasn't and he was only in the team for a specific reason. And that was just to, you know, especially at Burnley, to, to get up and join in, especially in Ireland's shirt where we were defending. And Jeff is, is, is regardless of what you say about his performance, he's willing and he runs around, even under all the previous managers. He always put in a shift. Yeah. But it, it, on the ball, you know, he turned it over quite quite often um, or, or quite cheaply um, but at the moment I'd say Stephen's probably telling him or Stephen might have convinced him that he's a far superior player yeah. than, than he's shown in the past Well even his past for Jason Knight all these kind of moments you know it's there on the slightly more pragmatic approach on the ball a willingness to clip balls long or down channels I mean that all stands in wonderful opposition to what we saw at home against Luxembourg back in that awful march when I think Kieran Clark gave the ball away 11 times and we were just pinned yeah. in on that left-hand side and refused, yeah. refused to break yes. the, the pattern. Yeah. So now we're doing it. And the other good thing, so you used the example, for instance, of the equaliser where Coleman clipped one long and it was, it was Doherty, as you said, who picked up a ball. Like if you, if you hit pause on that moment where the ball is in the air, I think it was either towards Ogbonne or Will Keane, the, the Coleman clip, but you have Irish players rushing towards the ball. Yes. And so I think all of us can live with that kind of a pass, that long pass, as opposed to the days of Shane Long with 50 yards around him winning a flick on to the opposition goalkeeper, which is utterly pointless. Like there's a there's a method to those kind of clip balls and probably puts manners on the opposition as well. Absolutely. And I'm all for that. I, I, I would never say that we have to, 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 you know, pass out to Shane Duffy in the six yard box and then come through every player to touch it to get it. To, to the other end of the pitch there's absolutely nothing wrong with it and like you said I agree there's a willingness now that when the balls are clipped to get up and the distances are so much better and the quality on the pass is so much better what you're talking about there with Shane Long was usually a player that hadn't seen the ball for for maybe two or three minutes he's been chasing it so he's breathing pretty heavy the ball drops to him and he's being pressured so all he does is spin one down the side it's more hopeful than anything else and and he's more hoping that Shane Long is on, on the side of the play and, and, and the distance then to get from the edge of the 18 yard box to the halfway line is too big and as I said because we've been chasing it for for 15 minutes players haven't got the energy to do it so no it's an awful lot more measured it's a, it's a, it's a ball that's played up it might not be of the, the greatest quality which maybe the, the ball that Seamus clipped wasn't but you know it, the defender couldn't get a good head on it he headed it down but all the players now are in good physical condition because they're having chunks of games and of course the distances if you look at it it's a clipped ball it's not an absolute lump 60 yards and nobody's making that up so I agree with you but that comes down to, you know, the factors that I just mentioned there. Yeah. We want more Damien Delaney-esque chipped balls, chipped passes. That's what you No, saying. I was definitely more of a, a, a <laughs> smash it and a good luck to the fellow chairs. Yeah. Get after it. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Alan Brown header, quality. Yeah, absolutely. Incredible. I mean, you know, I love the, the fact that he, he, if you watch it back, he, he holds his run. Um, almost as if he's going to lock up the edge of the 18 yard box just in case they win the header and it drops to a Belgian jersey and it's his job to stop the counter attack. He almost just slows down. But then at the last second, he just thinks, actually, hang on a minute, I can get in the box. But because he's only 15 yards away from the six yard box, 
he can make up that ground quite quickly and he arrives bang on cue and, and the ball is, is, is plumb on his forehead and I mean he just meets it brilliantly and um, I think as soon as he met it he just thought there's no way any goalkeeper going to stop that so it's just a, a good header but as I said it's just down to the attitude and the positivity that, that's in the side at the moment like I said he could quite easily have looked at the clock and just thought uh, you know what You know, I'll just, I'll just stay here on the edge of the box and hopefully think something will pop out and I'll get a strike on or something like that but he didn't he actually wanted to go and get his head on it yeah and he had that header against Serbia as well. So, you know, good timing in the air. He's a big, tall fella. So he's a good presence to have. And in fairness, the quality of the cross from Ogbeni was screaming at the pace of it, the mm. the loft on it. It was screaming out to be attacked. And let's talk a bit about, about Ogbeni because his impact here has been fairly extraordinary. He got his goal as well. And like, no problem with someone having a crack at an overhead, you know, like that's exactly what you want to see. It is extraordinary. And even I think Stephen Kenny's kind of said this, like rather than look at Ogbeni and say, well, he's our wing back. And yeah. uh, I mean, we certainly aren't using him that way. So his performances have been such a bonus for the Kenny regime because I don't think he was on our, our general radar 18 months ago. That's for sure. No, absolutely not. And if he's playing wing back at Rotherham in, in League One, maybe we were all kind of looking and thinking there's not much in it. But look, it was an overhead kick, but it was a two-touch overhead kick. He set yeah. himself up for it, which is even more impressive, to be honest with you. In, in, in what was he, seven yards out in a packed box, he had the composure to to flick it up for himself and then and then hit it. So, um, look, Stephen obviously makes him feel welcome. I read all his, his press stuff um, before the game where he spoke, you know, about, you know, sometimes he doesn't feel like he, not that he shouldn't be there, but he just feels like I'm playing for Ireland. But then Stephen reassures him and, and tells him, look, you, you have everything, you're, you're a main guy, you're going to play. But um, regardless of where he pays, he has a, a unique set of, of physical attributes um, in, in so far as his size and his pace mm. and willingness to, 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 to utilize all those attributes. Um, and he just genuinely looks like he loves coming in playing from Ireland, you know. Um, he just shows up and he feels at home. Um, and that's a testament to the, the environment that they've created, that there's, there's nobody coming into the environment feeling like they shouldn't be there or I'm a League One player and I'm playing with or against these players that, that, that I perhaps would never, ever get to play against. Um, but he feels at home and he feels confident. And as I said, that's a testament to, to the environment that's been created there. Yeah. And even, you know, it's funny, like that, that environment extends to the crowd as well. I think Stephen Kenny has been smart in the way that he has laid all this out. Young players coming through, we're building a new style. Uh, somebody like immersed in Irish football, understands Irish football and respects Irish football and and he's taken the crowd with him. And like you think of somebody like Ogbene, young player coming in, going to make the odd mistake but has lots of attributes. The crowd's reaction to him versus, I don't know, the crowd's reaction to an Aidan McGeady a decade ago when he made a mistake. It's different. And I think Kenny has been smart because it, like the atmosphere on Saturday is a part of this conversation that there is massive buy-in now and all the talk in the media and the complaining about the 12-11 match uh, losing run which had to be talked about because it was worrying but like all of that is, is very much parked at the door because there's something very good going on between Kenny, the team and the crowd at the moment and you know we haven't seen it in a long time I'd say. It, it, it is, and I think if, if you broaden that picture out to the whole last decade of Irish football and, and, and then the type of football that was played, and obviously then the, the scenario that, that unfolded uh, at the FAI, it was almost like we were down and out, you know, things perhaps, I wouldn't say couldn't get any worse, but like, you know, it wasn't looking good. And then Stephen has come in and, and he's kind of promised a different way. Now, all this loving for Stephen is, is, is great, but look, he still has to produce. You know, we had a good result against Belgium and and, and, and I'll be the first one to, to give him praise and I'll be the first one to, to criticise him and, and then the things that I saw wrong against Luxembourg. 
But ultimately, the Nations League is coming up now, and he needs to continue this improvement. He needs to start getting results now in the Nations League against teams that are ranked in and around us, the Scotlands and, and Ukraines um, of this world, teams that are ranked just ahead of us in the rankings. And, and he needs to take the Nations League seriously so we can qualify for a major tournament. Because ultimately, it's his job to get the feel-good factor back in, in Irish football, but he also has to start producing end product. And he has done on the pitch, but now he needs to start translating into, into tournaments, i.e. The, the Nations League and the upcoming Euros. Um, and, and that is a different kettle of fish. You know, friendly and on a centenary evening on a Saturday in Dublin is, is great. And I'm not taking anything away from it. It was brilliant. Um, but there's much, much tougher days ahead. But that's what Stephen signed up for as a manager. Mm. You know, that wasn't his cup final on, 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 on the weekend against Belgium. You know, he needs to repeat that now against Lithuania. And then he needs to get the belief in the players to, to top our Nations League group or do well enough in the Nations League to get into a, a qualifying position for the Euros, depending on our group for that. Yeah, I think mean, that's all totally fair. And like everything we're saying now proves that things weren't great for a part of his tenure and it was too stodgy and slow and predictable and easy yeah. to defend against. So, you know, in fairness to him, he's evolved. With a view to, well, there's Lithuania tomorrow, obviously, and then to June. Uh, the schedule for the rest of the year is as follows. Like, this is not a vintage year, unfortunately. The, the, this is a World Cup year and we're not in it. So it's Ukraine on the 4th of June, a Saturday, it's hard to imagine that fixture going ahead or it's hard to imagine Ukraine's participation in the Nations League. So potentially that just leaves it as a, a three-group, a three-team group. I don't know what's going to happen. But as things stand, it's Ukraine on the 4th and then Armenia on Tuesday the 7th and then Scotland on the 11th at 5 o'clock and then Ukraine again on the 14th. So four games in June, mm -hmm. but I suspect the Ukraine games won't go ahead. And then in September, Scotland and Armenia. What they may well do here is, is put more of these games in June who knows? We'll have to see what the Ukraine situation brings. But uh, certainly Ukraine over here, but we have Scotland and Armenia. That's the Nations League group. And, and that's what's going to uh, sum up how we feel about the Stephen Kenny project 2022. Like Scotland are in a great place. These, that's going to be a yeah. really interesting game. Absolutely. They're, they're a pretty good side. And that's why I said, uh, you know, he deserves his praise for the other night. But the battle starts all over again tomorrow night mm. because you think, you think Armenia is going to be a pushover. I mean, we saw with the likes of North Macedonia and Georgia, who we've seen recently, these teams are progressing fast. They're way up the road on, on, on what we're doing. You know, North Macedonia, um, I read a great article on them. I mean, basically what we're doing no, they decided to do about 10, 12 years ago. Um, but they've invested serious money into their into their infrastructure. Um, so they're only going to get better. You know, they've got category one academies in, in Macedonia, you know, and it's all about development. I'm sure Georgia are doing that. I'm sure Armenia are doing that. So all these teams have have uh, have the jump on us. Um, so we have to keep progressing and uh, time is not um, on our side. Um, so Stephen has a big job ahead of him, but he started well and, and he deserves credit for, for what's happened. Um, but yeah, it's a big, big year for him. Big, big year. Mm. Uh, one last point. I don't know. I know you were in Virgin on Thursday evening. Were you on the Italy-North Macedonia game or were you watching at the corner of your eye? 32 shots and yeah. they lose 1-0. It's hard to believe, yeah. really, isn't it? Because they yes. were, I mean, geez, they weren't just winners of the Euros. They were really impressive winners all the way through. Yeah, absolutely. And I read, a, um, I think, a, a, a piece with Fabio Capello today and he said that Italy looked like um, Pep Guardiola's teams 15 years ago. Um, you know, we need to be more German, Jurgen Klopp. And he, I think he referenced Atalanta in Italian football. He said they're the only teams that are playing this high-octane football. He goes, since the Euros, we are just playing a very, very, very slow um, 
game, and he's probably right. It was a, it was a, it was a, a nice description of where Italian football is from what I've seen, and for all their shots and all their efforts. Um, I think they only had five on target, Joe, um, and they never really cut them open that often. Um, and these guys now have a belief that they can beat these teams. So, um, look, it's uh, <laughs> it's an interesting time for world football. It really is. It sure is. Uh, listen, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Cheers. Damien Delaney, thanks, Emil. Cheers, Joe. Thanks. Cheers. Damien Delaney with us there. And our football show coverage is brought to you by Sky. Catch the biggest live Premier League games every weekend on Sky Sports. We're going to take a short break. And then Kevin Kilban is joining us next. In swinger. Oh, 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 oh. The Republic of Ireland oh. have scored! John Egan with his first ever international goal! What a moment for Stephen Kenny! Full live commentary of the Republic of Ireland against Lithuania this Tuesday on OTB Sports Radio. Now you're very welcome back. So we are going to turn from the Republic of Ireland to Canadian football because it's been an extraordinary 12 months on the Olympic front, the women's team won gold in Tokyo and now over the weekend, the men's team have qualified for their first World Cups in Me- since uh, Mexico 1986. And what they're calling it over there is the Kevin Kilpan bounce. Uh, there is a sense in the Canadian media that you put a man with that kind of talent into a country and there is a natural contagion effect. Uh, so they're saying 36-year gap, Kilpan arrives... They call him Zinedine, and here they are. So there is huge excitement at what happens next. Kevin Caban, hello. Hi, Joe. You know that you're still full of it. You know that. <laughs> yeah, you don't change. You don't uh, change. But anyway, there you go. The why, Kil- why change? <laughs> why change when it's not working? Uh, the Kilban the <laughs> bounce, huh? Listen, you arrive in this country and it's liftoff. Unbelievable. Well, you know, it's, it's yeah. I mean, it has been incredible. I mean, do you know the the this stage of qualification for, for for Canada? They haven't been at this stage, actual stage, where you go into the octagon where it's eight teams since 1993. So you look at it where they've come from. I, I think the hope and uh, expectations going into this final round was might nick a playoff spot. You know, try to compete with the two big powerhouses in Mexico and the USA. Try and compete with them and, and stay ahead of Costa Rica, Jamaica. Uh, and Honduras, who are probably the next uh, next best teams, but they've they've exceeded expectations, mm. and it's been an un- Joe, it's been an unbelievable uh, turnaround for them. I, just a quick one, I just put it in a bit of context that I th- the the current coach John Herbman, when he took over four years ago, I think it was four years ago last Thursday, they played the first game against New Zealand in Mercia, Spain, with seventy five fans in attendance, seventy five fans, and it shows where they've come from because the turnaround is incredible. What? 75 fans. Yeah, 75 fans for the, for John Herbin's first game four years ago against in Mercia against New Zealand. God. Uh, Ronan outside just said they're calling it Kilbanada. <laughs> <laughs> Good for the pun, El Ronan. Oh, dear. God, that's extraordinary. So, generally, interest in soccer... I presume, uh, in Canada. How, where is it in the pecking order? Does it get good figures? They're watching the MLS, I presume, or are they watching European football? I mean, when you open the Canadian newspapers or turn on the sports shows on TV, where is good old soccer featuring generally? Oh, uh, you, you, they're way down the pecking order, yeah. way behind. I mean, hockey's number one, without a doubt here. Ice hockey's number one. And then you'll have uh, basketball with the Raptors, who of course won uh, won the title a couple of years ago. So the Raptors will be big here as well. Mm. Uh, Blue Jays as well. So you you're fourth or fifth really down the pecking order. 
Um, you mentioned the women's soccer as well that has really gone on to a new level. They've had um, they've had a few issues, I think, within Canada soccer over the years. They've lost some really big players. Owen Hargreaves is one of the high-profile players right. that went on to play for England after playing underage with Canada. Uh, Begovic would be another one that played underage with Canada. And they had issues trying to keep hold of players. Now, realistically, now there's bona fide stars here, Joe. Like, you know, Alfonso Davies, he's, well, certainly in my opinion, I think many opinion, he'd be the best fullback in, in world football right now. Uh, probably the best left sider in world football. He's only played actually half the game. Jonathan David, who undoubtedly will will go to Premier League, I think, in the summer. It will be 50, 60 million, I would imagine, the transfer fee for him from Lille. Um, and you've got one or two bona fide stars. Stefan Astacchio, who's just moved to Porto as well, will be another one in midfield. You, you'd love Astacchio, Joe. He's, he's right up your street for the type of player he is. If you look at the first goal that Canada scored yesterday, a lovely little through ball that he just played in behind the defence to for Kyle Lahren to score. There's, there's, there's three or four, I, I'm, I'm talking real stars in the team, real top-class players. And there's a mixture of, of, of I, w- I wouldn't want to say workmanlike, but players that, that, you know, if you're looking at it in comparison to our Irish team, we'd go, well, look, would they get in our team? They'd struggle to get in our team or they'd certainly be on a par. But when you've got a mixture and you have two or three really good, top-class players, they make the difference. So it's going to be interesting to see where Canada go mm. when they play against some of the big the big nations. You know, they, they, they're talking here now who they're going to get in the World Cup. Will it be Brazil? Obviously, everybody wants England. And just going back to your point there, where, where it falls in the pecking order, the Euros here got way bigger figures, uh, viewing figures, than, um, than, than the MLS would have got. But now, all of a sudden, as I was saying, there are stars that young players and youngsters can look up to. Not not least the, the women's game that has done so well. Mm. But now in the men's game, there's bona fide stars that's going to carry the, the nation through. So it, it's really exciting times ahead, yeah. Yeah, it really could be. And the context is, of course, Canada will co-host the 2026 World Cup. So in terms of a four or five year period here, uh, it is really exciting for Canadian football. Kev, I was reading. So in the last 12 months, Canada have played... 24 games. Now that's a hell of a schedule. Uh, 24 yeah. games. They've won 17, drew four, lost just three, each of those by a single goal. And as you mentioned, 14 of the 24 were, were qualifiers and they were without Alfonso Davies for seven of those 14. Yeah. But jeez, 24 games in a year. Yeah, well, they've had um, they had the Gold Cup here. That again, it wouldn't be something that I'd be too familiar with. The Gold Cup is the, the Concacaf Championship. The you know the, the I suppose on a, on a par with the Euros or Copper America, but it's 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 not on a par standard wise. But obviously, it's the North American Championship, so that's every two years. So that 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 was in the summer as well that they that they had the the Gold Cup. So there's a lot of games there, and I, I spoke about before the the qualification that Canada have had to go through to get to the stage they were actually at, which is the octagon, the the eighteen qualification. They, they've had. I remember, what was it, not long after I arrived here, they played Haiti for uh, in a playoff game to qualify for this standard. And they blew all the teams away that they, were, that they, they played against. They had way better players. But there's, historically, Canada have got to the stage where they've played, certainly in Central America, Honduras, El Salvador, Costa Rica. And I wouldn't want to say bottle it, but they've, they've found it really difficult to go to, to these places and get results. They've, 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 they've had limited or no success there. And now all of a sudden they've gone to these places. They beat El Salvador and beat Honduras convincingly, uh, and they also got a draw in the Azteca against Mexico. They drew with the US in in uh, in the US and beat Mexico and the US at home. So 
the standard has taken them on to the next level. Yeah, with the players, they've got John Herdman, the coach, who's from Newcastle in England. He's he has really give belief to the team as well. But I think the, the the region itself, Joel, where Canada have been in comparison to where they should where they should be, uh, they've been in the doldrums in the doldrums for a long time. Yeah. And Kev, what's the standard like in the moment, say, or, or at the moment, say across Concacaf? Like you mentioned, Mexico. You mentioned the US. These are you know, very very respectable teams. Yeah. Well, if you look at the world rankings on Mexico and the US, they're both in the top 15. I think they both still are. They definitely were going into the last round of, of fixtures. Uh, Mexico, Joe, personally, and, and my knowledge would be similar to your knowledge, Joe, on Mexico, where we would have watched them and been excited by them at World Cups in the past. They, well, look, they've, they've here's, shots, let's, but let's be honest. Our knowledge of Mexico is John Aldridge letting that linesman have it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That, but... I remember that game in 94, Joe. You're a bit younger than me. You probably won't remember it as clear as me. I, yeah. I was obviously, what, 17 or whatever it would have been around then, 16. But uh, they, they played us off the park that day, didn't they? And, it was hot. You know, it was hot. It, that was our excuse, really. Was, yeah, that was our excuse. That was our excuse, yeah. We couldn't go on the high press. We couldn't go and get up and at them, could we, in, in that game? But, no, I mean, Joe, we, we've seen, let's be honest, we've seen Mexico a, a lot of World Cups. Mm. Uh, I watched them, of course, in, in 86 when uh, I'm going back to what Hugo Sanchez and players like this that played for Real Madrid. But they've had some really good players uh, that, that's been playing for them. Personally, From and I've watched them across the course of this campaign, I think it's the worst Mexican team that I've seen. Um, so if I'm judging it from that, US aren't great this campaign. Canada, by far and away, the best team throughout this qualification. And judging from where Canada were at the start of qualification... To where they are now, that where they rank now, it's about thirty, I think, in the world. In the world now, you probably tell it's right in front of me, thirty-three, I think, Joe. But they're now they're they're on the verge of pot three or four at the moment. Which one they're going to be? And I think if they, they they play Panama in the last qualifier on Wednesday, there's potential if they win that they could be in pot three, which of course makes a difference to the draw. But just going to your point on the standard of Concacaf, Costa Rica, who I I saw Costa Rica play in 2014. Uh, when they got to the quarterfinal of the World Cup, getting uh, beat to, to Holland on penalties. It's more or less the same players, or there's a lot of players from 2014. So eight-year difference, you're looking at that. A lot of those players are a lot older. Um, not as good, obviously, not as dynamic. So it's not the same Costa Rica team. Honduras, I would have played with Wilson Palacios at Wigan. Mano Figueroa at Wigan. You know, they've had some really good players, Honduras. They're not the team that probably they were as well. So the standard across CONCACAF, in my opinion certainly can be absolutely no comparison to what we've been seeing, certainly in the Euro playoffs recently. The standard is not there, but Canada haven't really played against any of the the, the better teams in Europe yet, this team that they've got right now. So I'm really interested to see what the, the, the team's going to do. They've not really been tested defensively, Joe. And I think that's going to be the key thing for them come, come the Euro, as come the World Cup, mm. sorry, that can they contain side some of the better nations uh, with, the, with the attacking talent that they'll have. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what it does for the popularity of the game over there. Not to put you on the spot too much, if you don't really know, there's no uh, great issue. But like in terms of participation, it, does soccer have a reasonable presence at schools or you know out and about? Are you seeing soccer goals, posts around park pitches? Yeah. Or yeah, is that it does have good participation? No, no. I think it's a, it's a great point. It's a great question, Joe. It really surprised me. Even where where we live here, we live about an hour east of, t of Toronto. I think I said this before, and. There's, there's a, a soccer pitch at the end of the road, literally at the end of my road up here. So 
you can see the game is, is definitely growing. I was told recently, and again, I, I don't know how true it is, but I believe it to be true, that, that Ontario, where we are here in Ontario, has more registered soccer players than hockey players. So mm-hmm. that goes to show where they are. There's, there's a, a small region of the, of the GTA, the general uh, Toronto area here, called Brampton, that's produced so many brilliant footballers that have come through. So... You know There's the game is growing. There, yeah, yeah. They're, well, Joe, they, they, they've got they've got Portuguese, Italian, Irish, English. So it's only natural that a lot of these uh, the, a lot of these people that's coming into the country are trying to help the game grow. And yeah, there, there, there is a big presence, Joe, and it's it's going to get bigger. Yeah. Absolutely. The World Cups here in World Cups here in 2026 as well. So. There's um, it, there's a huge. I think there's going to be a huge real participation, or there's going to be certainly a drive within the next few years to really take the game onwards, and and hopefully we'll start to see another Alfonso Davies, or we'll start to see another Jonathan David going forward. Yeah. No, oh, it's great. And Camille, you couldn't go more than ten yards without having someone ask you for a selfie in Dublin. Do you get recognised much in Canada? <laughs> no, honestly, no, absolutely not. The game yesterday was no. It's nice. No, well, that's not true anyway, Joe. You know that in Dublin anyway. But no, uh, no. Nobody, nobody knows. No. Even though no, you walk around with that Everton Kilban shirt on the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good one. Um, no, it's what uh, one or two, the odd one here and there. But uh, no, it's it's low key. It's low key. And okay. again, it goes to the point. I mean, you were saying, Joe, if, if you switch the equivalent, we have, you know, obviously the sports centre here, which is equivalent of, of uh, Sky Sports News, say. Mm. Soccer, apart from this weekend, it's all over the news with Canada qualifying for the World Cup, the men's team qualifying for the World Cup. They'd be way down the pecking order in terms of you know the MLS coverage for for Toronto FC, the Whitecaps, or uh, or Montreal. They'll be way down the pecking order yeah. in comparison to the sports. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, it'll uh, take centre stage December, and then obviously in 2026. Uh, I know you didn't see much of the Ireland match, by the way, but I'm, I'm sure. Did you see the Thierry Henry moment? Did you see this? I did. Yeah, I saw that. Oh, yeah. I'd say, uh, I'd say, uh, I'd say I, you've I, watched it a hundred times. No, I, I I watched it. I was laughing. I was listening to uh, to. Uh, Jerry this morning and off the ball with um, uh, who was young was on with Johnny wasn't he? Yeah. And Johnny was saying he was sat there with his girlfriend and his girlfriend's going, "What have you not forgot about that yet? Are you, and, no, <laughs> we're not over it. We're never going to be over it. We'll never be over Thierry Henry." But no, it, we, we have. Um, there's a few Irish guys I know here. I actually spoke to yesterday, and they, that was the first thing they said. Never even t- talked to that. We got a great result against the world uh, best team or the ranked number one team. It was more. Did you see that Thierry was getting it on the bench? So that was nice. Yeah. Listen, we've been waiting twelve years. Waiting twelve years for this, yeah, yeah, oh, quite right, quite was, right too. He was trying to do the. Uh, I've glanced. I see myself in the big screen. Oh, they're still booing me. Still booing me. Yeah. Wanted, wanted to have another glance. It's a tough spot to be in. What do you do? Yeah. Oh, he's a great guy, though, isn't he? So what? What can you do? Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. I know you're busy, so we appreciate the time. We'll talk soon. Take it easy. No. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Uh, yeah, hope everyone's well. I've, not, I've, uh, I've missed you. I've missed you. Well, listen, you'll be back You'll be back in September. Or, sorry, September. You'll be back in July. May are looking very good at the moment. Very good at the moment. So I know, yeah. I, 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 no, I've seen a few of the games. I have. No, I know you're probably stuck for time, but I've seen a few of the games. Great result yesterday again, so over the weekend again. So um, Saturday, wasn't it? Sorry. No, yeah. but... Yeah, looking well. A lot of youngsters all coming in, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss the league final, but... I know, I'm, I might try and get back. Obviously, last year's not been able to get back, but... Um, 24th, if, if, 24th if get, of July, Ken. 24th of July. Yeah, if we get to the final this year, you know, you know, we have the baby on the way, Joe. We have a baby in four weeks, but um, maybe, maybe I might be able to swing it this year. Listen, you fly home 24th of July, bring the baby out onto the pitch, put it into the Sam Maguire, <laughs> do a lap of honour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll let you go. Thanks so much.
No, thanks, Joe. All right, good man. Kevin Goodman there uh, with us from Canada. And our football show coverage is brought to you by Sky. Catch the biggest live Premier League games every weekend on Sky Sports.